0: Hello goblins and ghouls, and welcome to my Haunted Life podcast. I'm your host, Angela Hartshorn, and today we are cruising along the Oregon and Washington border, lighthouse hopping. Now today's episode is, um, heartbreaking. (laughs) So mental illness, depression, and suicide trigger warning. Good morning, my spooky babes. How is everyone doing today? I hope it's great, because you are great. I don't think I could ever express how thankful I am to all of my listeners. And those of you that tell your friends and family or your clients about the show. A huge, huge thankful. thank you. Like my buddy Callan who cuts hair, who has told numerous people in their chair about the show while he's making their hair awesome, or those of you that find me at traveling shows and come to tell me hi. I love that. Honestly, I do. I wish I could talk more at the shows, but work. We need to plan dinners, If anybody wants to do a dinner on any of my travels let me know i would be so down i should really post that more in the group i'm gonna do that more since switching podcast host sites right after i started this last season i think it was like shanghai tunnels and then i decided to switch hosts which was a little silly but, you'll have downloaded the podcast a thousand times, and that's rather incredible to me. And now I have a bunch of new listeners from Singapore. I, I'm not sure how you found me, but hello! I hope you are also great. This weekend is the Arcane Vampire Ball, and I'm the Arcane Sorceress, leading the Midnight Ritual. So if you are in the Denver area, come say hi and dance the night away with us. At the moment of writing this, I'm more excited than nervous and scared, but that will probably change. I'll probably need a hug and a drink the night of, so come find me. A couple of housekeeping things real quick. I'm not sure if anyone has noticed, but I have tried something new with the editing of the last episode, the last spooky snippet, and this episode. My brother sent me this AI filter for cleaning audio? Let me know what you think. It's so different, it sounds weird to me, so I'm not sure if it's better. I think it is, but uh, let me know what you think. A little sidebar about this week's episode again. Trigger warning. I'm not sure what it is about this episode. I have talked about some pretty dark things on this podcast, but this one really got to me. I cried reading the newspapers. I cried writing it all. I'll probably cry during recording. I'll try to stop it, I promise. It's a rough one, at least for me. So bear with me and check in with yourselves and make sure you are okay to listen to such a sad story today. On this week's episode, I am telling you about the dark history and hauntings of the Cape Disappointment and North Head lighthouses. These things have seen quite a bit of death in their time being in the middle of the graveyard of the Pacific. One of the most prominent ghosts that we will be focusing on is that of Melancholy Mary, who simply just breaks my heart. So, let's get into it, shall we? Grab yourself a cup of tea, make sure the doors are locked and the sage is close by. I have a story to tell you. It's cold again and raining again. The winter months are miserable on the shores of the Pacific Ocean, but the lighthouse needs to be maintained. It's rainy and miserable and cold. The wind beats at the building, sounding something like a train barreling down on you. The loneliness and isolation are unbearable. You start to think you are seeing things, hearing whispers, but it must just be a trick of the light or the wind howling. That blasted, incessant wind. But you are starting to see and hear things more often. Maybe it's just the winter waves breaking down your psyche. You know. You are alone. You see something move again out of the corner of your eye, and you suddenly realize you are not alone. Before you is a woman walking the corridor. She's crying. Your first instinct is to comfort her, but then you realize you are able to see through her to the opposite wall. You realize she's not actually there. You realize you just had an encounter with Melancholy Mary. When leaving Astoria to go to Washington State, you cross this big, giant bridge over the Columbia River. It's a really cool bridge, but for someone who is not from there... It got a bit nerve-wracking. Remember, the Columbia River is huge. And that much water is still a bit intimidating to me. I really enjoyed our time in Astoria. And I was honestly really disappointed to leave it. Maybe it was leaving my favorite sea lions, who got to the point where they weren't letting me sleep. Anyways, on our way to Seattle, I wanted to stop by and see a couple things. There are two lighthouses very near one another. One has the lovely moniker of the Cape Disappointment Lighthouse and the other, the North Head Lighthouse. Driving to the lighthouses, I expected to be able to see the lighthouses from a long way off, like looming in the distance but that wasn't the case. If you go to visit, be prepared for a bit of a hike to both on very separate trails. I think they were a couple of miles each. They were gorgeous and very easy hikes, but uh, I was not prepared for them, especially not with the wind. The area around and between the lighthouses has a very rich history. Cape Disappointment is on the north side of the river's mouth and helps to mark the entrance to the Columbia River. For all of my fellow landlocked people, a cape is simply a high point of land that extends into a river, lake, or ocean. Pretty simple. I guess in this case, both river and ocean since this is where the Columbia meets the Pacific. Named Cahis by the local Chinook and then Cape San Rogue by Bruno de Hecata in 1775, the Cape received the name Cape Disappointment from Captain John Mears. After vainly trying to seek shelter from a terrible storm at sea, on July 6, 1788, Mears wrote, Disappointment continued to accompany us. We can safely exert that no river sand rogue exists. Out of frustration, Mears christened the cape, Cape Disappointment. On May 11th, 1792, American Robert Gray, a seafarer more interested in finding furs for the China market, the honor of discovery was the first European to successfully cross the bar and the river was named after his ship the Columbia Redivia. Robert Gray applied the name Cape Hancock to the cape in 1792 but later changed the name to disappointment when he learned Mears had so named it earlier. In November of 1805, the U.S. Corps of Volunteers for Northwest Discovery, led by a couple guys you might have heard of, Meriwether Lewis and William Clark, reached the mouth of the mighty Columbia River and the Pacific Ocean. Great joy in camp, Clark wrote in his journal. We are in view of the ocean, this great Pacific Ocean, which we been so long anxious to see. Starting as a small stream at the base of the Canadian Rockies, the Columbia River travels more than 1200 miles, merging with various rivers and streams until it meets the Pacific Ocean. I'm gonna be honest when I was out there I needed a map <laughs> to really tell what was Columbia River and what was ocean again the Columbia is huge <laughs> so I got it but you know landlocked I can't help myself the force of the Columbia flowing into the sea creates one of the most treacherous bars in the world as evidenced by the 234 identified ships that stranded, sank, or burned near the mouth of the river between 1725 and 1961, making it one of the deadliest parts of the graveyard of the Pacific. A great example of this and a great reminder that death is really all around you out there and everything bit of water around you is dangerous, is the aptly named Dead Man's Hollow and Beard's Hollow. Just below the North Head Lighthouse, the beach at the bottom of the cliffs earned the name Dead Man's Hollow. On January 9, 1853, a ship called the Vendalia wrecked nearby, killing all 12 crew members. The hull of the ship washed up near the mouth of the Columbia River several days later. It is believed that it wandered into treacherous breakers, sprung a leak, and then sank. Three of the crew members' bodies washed up on shore right in a small inlet. Now named Dead Men's Hollow, Captain E. N. Beard washed up in another inlet that is now referred to as Beard's Hollow. In the book Haunted Graveyard of the Pacific by Ira Wesley Kitchmacher, he writes one could speculate that the spirits of these dead sailors may still linger, but doesn't say anything else on these particular areas being Haunted. It was kind of like the Peter Erdale last week. Everybody really wants it to be haunted. But it doesn't seem like there's a lot of stories out there about it. Now, I did find where others claim to see men standing on the shore and along the cliffs around the hollow. So, maybe. When we visited, there were kids playing on the beach and a lady playing fetch with her dog in Dead Man's Hollow. It's honestly a really lovely little area. It's really pretty. Beer Tallow is down near the Coast Guard station, which isn't too far away from each other as the crow flies. Like you it's a little bit of a hike to go back and forth. It's not awful, but still, I was surprised how far away it was for the captain's body to wash up away from his men. There, it's, it, when you look at it on a map, they, they got away from each other. Anyway, the area had become well known for how dangerous it was. So plans to build the lighthouse were set in motion the current system of notched trees and nighttime fires that previously guided ships was just not cutting it. 1853 was a particularly bad year for shipwrecks. Ironically, when the ship Oriole sank, it was carrying supplies to build a lighthouse. Cape Disappointment Lighthouse was first lit on October 15, 1856. It was Washington's first lighthouse. The brick tower at Cape Disappointment stands 53 feet high, with a focal plane of 220 feet above the sea, and tapers from a diameter of 14 feet 4 inches at its base to 10 feet 16 inches in the ladder room, lantern room. There we go. The station was also supplied with 1,600 pound fog bell, but it was found to have very little value due to the roar of the surf and the distance at which mariners needed to hear it. Remember, I was talking last week about how loud the ocean is. To give you an idea, you cannot hear a fog bell over it. Just, just, just to give you an idea. However, ships continued to run aground at the Graveyard of the Pacific. Due to the sheer number of shipwrecks, it was determined a second lighthouse was needed on the northwestern end of Cape Disappointment to alert ships coming down from the north commonly referred to as North Head. On May 16th, 1898, the North Head Lighthouse was put into service as the primary navigation aid to the mouth of the Columbia River. In 1898, the First Order Lens, the most powerful at the time, was moved to the North Head Lighthouse which stood higher than the older tower at 65 feet above the ground and 194 feet above the ocean. These two lighthouses, located so close together, featured different signals. The north head tower flashed a fixed white light, while the signal for the nearby Cape disappointment beacon alternated red and white, which I think It's kind of brilliant to let you know which one you're closer to. I, I just, I thought that was cool. This was an era of increased vessel traffic and commerce on the Pacific coast. And even though the lighthouses helped to save lives, almost 100 lives have been lost in the shadow of the North head lighthouse. But the ocean and the river aren't the only dangerous things around the lighthouse. There also is isolation and loneliness. The North Head Lighthouse actually has basically a complex around it. Well, up above it, I should say. There's a keeper's house and an assistant keeper's house just 50 yards away from the lighthouse along this lovely little trail. It feels more like a deer trail for those that understand what I'm saying. All of which are said to be haunted. Witnesses have heard loud voices in the middle of the night in the keeper's quarters and many believe it's the former lighthouse keeper's wife, Mary, who still roams the ground. When the North Head Lighthouse went into operation, it was placed under the direction of Alexander K. Pessinen as head keeper. There were two assistants and the three of them pulled eight hour shifts to keep the light going from dusk till dawn every day. It was demanding work, hauling the kerosene and rap seed and whale oil from storage houses up the stairs, and keeping the mirrors and Fresnel lenses properly polished during the daylight hours. Alexander Pessanen, who had been serving as head keeper at Talam- Talamook Rock Lighthouse, was transferred to North Head to be its first keeper. Keeper Pessanen, was born in Finland in 1859 and immigrated to the United States in 1876. Pessinen was awarded the Lighthouse Efficiency Flag for having the model station in the district in 1919. So, he knew what he was doing. Freed from the isolation of Talamook Rock, which I've seen a picture of this place. It's like Alcatraz. It is water all the way around. It's one of those that I would desperately love to visit next. Anyways, so he got off of that one in 1890, two years after assuming his duties at North Head, married Mary Watson, a native of Ireland who was born in 1870. As the wife of a head keeper, Mary was expected to oversee all domestic affairs for herself, her husband, and the assistant keepers, who lived in a duplex house next door. There were gardens to tend, and chickens, and animals to feed and manage. Now the gardening and animal part sounds pretty awesome to me, but Mary's duties were regulated by the Lighthouse Service and subject to inspection. That part does not sound awesome. The Pessinens, who remained childless, spent the next 25 years at Northhead. They were both well-regarded in the community, but something was not right with Mary. Perhaps she had always been prone to depression, and over the course of time, her condition worsened under the harsh conditions. By the spring of 1923, at age 54, her mental condition was so serious that her husband took her all the way to Portland, Oregon for medical help. She was diagnosed with melancholia, a condition marked by persistent depression and ill-founded fears and was placed under treatment. I'm like same <laughs> let's remember this is the 1920s. It's still hard for people today to talk about mental health, let alone seek treatment. I think this shows one, just how bad Mary's state was. And two, just how much her husband loved her. The couple returned to Northhead on Friday, June 8th, 1923. Mary appeared in good spirits. She was cheerful and even wrote a long letter to a friend in Portland. Her husband must have been relieved. In just six months, he was due to retire with handsome benefits and the couple had plans to relax for a relaxed and refreshing new life, developing their land in Shell Water Bay for cranberry crops and spending the winters in warm and sunny California. <sighs> okay. At 5 a.m. on June 9th, Mary awoke and told her husband he could remain in bed while she went out for a walk as her doctor had advised and to do some small errands. She dressed and put on her coat and took her little dog, Jerry with her who always went with her when she walked about. After half an hour longer in bed, Alexander got up and dressed and started looking for his wife. Jerry, the little dog, returned a short short while later without Mary, and its behavior alerted Alexander that something was terribly wrong. The local paper explained what happened next. He notified the boys at the radio station and also at the weather bureau, and a search party was soon organized. The dog led searchers to a spot just under the fire control station near the North Head Lighthouse, and there they found her coat lying on the edge of the cliff. A trail through the tall grass, as though someone had slid down the cliff, was evidence of what had befallen the unfortunate woman. Another article read, Woman leaps to her death. Lighthouse keeper's wife, after illness, throws self from cliffs. United Plymouth, Bend Bolton. Ilwaka, Washington, June 9th. Mrs. A.K. Pennison, wife of the keeper of the lighthouse at North Head, committed suicide early today, throwing herself over the cliffs at the front of the lighthouse. Mrs. Pessinen had been suffering from a nervous breakdown for weeks and was under a physician's care. She rose at five o'clock this morning and went for a walk with her dog, which returned without her. Her husband went in search, her husband went in search and found her coat and evidence of where she had left over the cliff. The ocean, into the ocean, the body has not been recovered. Searchers may have to use dynamite. With a heavy heart, Hesanen notified people in El Waco? Sorry. And the Coast Guard at Fort Canby to recruit more people to search for Mary's body. They tried dynamite blasting in the water to force up the corpse in case it had sunk, but had no success. Finally, at the end of the day, second assistant lighthouse keeper Frank C. Hammond found her body floating in a cove where it had been washed in by the tide. It was at great personal risk that he located and secured her body at the bottom of the cliff it took a tremendous effort to haul the body up the cliff Mary was a member of the unity movement known for their faith-based healing in a letter she had wrote to a friend the night she had come home from the hospital she stated I see where I have been wrong in a great many ways but please God I will try and change and do better I'm even going to try and do without my medicine and just pray I'll get better and better she was buried on Monday June 11th in Ilwaka Cemetery amid a bowery of flowers which bore the unspoken grief of the many friends who had known and loved Miss Pennison during her long residence at Northhead according to the local tribune Broken hearted Alexander continued in his post until his retirement On September 30th, 1923, my birthday, for the next year, his life basically unraveled. He was injured in a train wreck in 1924 and began to suffer heart problems, which kept him in constant travel to and from Portland for medical treatment. On August 12th, 1925, he was staying at the home of friends in Illinois, Waco, awaiting a bus to Portland when he suffered a heart attack and died. He was buried next to his wife. Mary's ghost is seen and felt in the head light housekeepers house beginning in the 1950s until this day groundskeepers volunteers and visitors have reported seeing Mary wandering through the lighthouse and the house where she and her husband lived looking out of the windows still appearing sad and distraught visitors groundskeepers and even a few current volunteers report experiences with strange alert electrical surges moving objects and a presence both in the lighthouse and in the residency where Mary tended the home and the gardens. Ghost Adventures visited the North Head Lighthouse and claimed that there were many dark spirits around the lighthouse. They had a psychic on claiming that Alexander also haunts the lighthouse keeper's quarters and she implied that he was a negative imposing effect on his wife's spirit and anyone that visits. Now, I don't know about that. When we were there, it was the off season and everything, unfortunately, was closed so we couldn't go in and check out the lighthouse keepers, quarters, or even the lighthouse itself, which was very disappointing. I desperately wanted to go in it. But I, personally, just got a lot of sadness from what I researched it seemed like Alexander cared deeply for his wife seeking mental health help in an era where that is almost unheard of when we were there I felt a male presence but got more of a residual sadness from him so I'm just kind of wondering if it was just that last six months playing back over and over again. This man tried to get his wife help. They had plans for a new life away from the graveyard of the Pacific in sunny California in only six months. And all of that was lost. It just breaks my heart so much. Another thing that I experienced while out there was the feeling of being watched from the woods. Not from the houses, from the woods around. Several times I had to stop and make sure no one was actually there watching me, like another tourist coming down the trail or something. Nope, nothing. It was creepy. Not sure if I got a negative vibe But it wasn't a happy vibe in any way. I don't think dangerous. Just very not happy. I think it's the best way I can put it. This was also brought up on the Ghost Adventures episode. And it was implied that it was the indigenous spirits of the area. Indigenous people were basically white out by contact with white adventurers and settlers. Historylink.org states that Lewis and Clark counted about 400 Chinooks living around Cape Disappointment in 1805. By 1830 only about 30 or 40 were still left. Most of the others were dead victims of infectious diseases introduced by Whites. The Lower Columbia River Valley was one of the most densely populated areas in aboriginal North America. At the time of initial contact with Whites in the 1790s, an estimated 16,000 Chinookian speaking people lived along the 200 miles of river between 200 miles. What did I say? of river between Cape Disappointment and the Dales including the Chinook on one end Washington Bank and the Clatsop on the South Oregon side. 40 years later the population numbered in the hundreds not the thousands. As the first of The Columbia River tribes to have contacts, contact with whites, the Chinook were the first to feel the effects of European introduced diseases such as gonorrhea, syphilis, and smallpox. But it was an 1829 epidemic of what was probably malaria that had the most devastating impact on the tribe called Aug Fever. In historical accounts, malaria was brought up from California by fur traders working for the Hudson Bay Company. The disease catastrophically rearranged the human geography of the river. Wrote somebody named White. I don't know who. Four-fifths of the native population died in a single summer. Whole villages disappeared. Many others were so reduced that they consolidated. Ethnographer James G. Swan found 112 Indians living near the mouth of the river in 1834. But most were Chahelis? So, it makes sense to me if these indigenous spirits still haunted the area and watched and loomed from the woods at white tourists, uh, I would not be happy either. Just, just it. Today, the North Head Lighthouse still stands as a sentinel overlooking this treacherous body of water, the confluence between the Columbia River and the Pacific Ocean. The North Head Lighthouse is still an active aid to navigation, although the lighthouse keepers who once tended the flame have been replaced by an automated beacon. The lighthouse was automated in 1961. In 1983, it was turned over to Washington State as a public historic site. The lighthouse offers sweeping views of the Pacific Ocean, Long Beach Peninsula, Columbia River Bar, and the Northern Oregon Coast. Now, the Coast Guard station nearby is the largest search and rescue on the Northwest coast. Also, the North Head Lighthouse is the second windiest lighthouse site in the nation. And I personally believe it. I felt like I was going to get blown over numerous times. Maybe that's the feeling of heaviness, that, that tension that people claim to experience out there, that somehow translates into our brains as that uneasy feeling of being watched. I don't know. Either way, though, the North Head Lighthouse is definitely a place not to miss, although I wish I would have thought to bring Mary flowers when we visited. Just a little something since she enjoyed her garden so much. If you go out there, please do that for me. I think Mary's story gets to me so much because it's so relatable. I know I personally have struggled with depression and apparently anxiety most of my life. I know that feeling of just not wanting to be here anymore. I know a lot of you have too. That's one of the reasons I start every podcast with asking how your day is going and telling you all how great you are. I know it's small, but I hope it helps someone not feel so alone. We can all relate to the feelings of isolation and loneliness Especially since the pandemic. Hell, that's one of the reasons I started this podcast in the first place. One of the things that gets to me a lot is Alexander's story. And being the one left behind after a suicide. My family has seen a lot of suicide or attempts. Including my grandmother on my father's side who everyone thought was fine until it was too late. This isn't the grandma that's been on the show. This is my father's side. Other grandma is fine. She's still kicking and being as stubborn as ever. We even had a family member make an attempt, but their dog let the roommates know that something was wrong. Just like poor little Jerry. So yeah. Please know that you are not alone. That someone loves you. And that it gets better. If you need someone to talk to right now, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number is 1-800-273-TALK or 8255. And apparently, when you Google suicide lifeline or whatever, a lot of local ones now come up. So, you know, I love you, my spooky babes. Stay safe out there. Thank you to everyone out there listening today. My Haunted Life Podcast is written, researched, produced, edited, and hosted by me, Angela Hartshorn. If you are interested in more pictures, info, and my sources for this week's episode, make sure to check out my website, myhauntedlifepodcast.com, all one word, and for everything, every picture, because I don't really get a lot of pictures on the website, check out the Patreon page. Your one-stop shop for everything My Haunted Life, where you can also help support the show for $2 a month. If you have information about today's episode you want to tell me or a ghost story to share, email me at podcast at gmail.com. Or you can write me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. All at My Haunted Life Podcast. While you're there, please like and follow and comment. It honestly makes my day. Music is by Ghost Stories Incorpor- Incorporated and Michael Gelfi. And that's it for this show. I'll see you all next week on My Haunted Life Podcast. And until then... Stay spooky.